0: I want us to go back to the book of Joshua again this week and specifically chapter 14 as tonight will be our final installment of the series we've been in over the past few weeks that has taken us into the life of Caleb and has shown us what it looks like to truly be built different and when we left off last week, the Israelites are taking control of Of the promised land they're moving in further in their conquest and at the point of the narrative that we picked up in the land was being divided up amongst the people and Caleb has shown up to claim his plot it was the realization for him of a 40 year old promise that God had made to him so long ago that the place that his foot had treaded upon would become his for an inheritance and When we picked up in this story last week in Joshua chapter 14, the realization of that promise was now coming to pass for Caleb. So look in Joshua chapter 14, and we're going to pick back up in verse 6, in the same passage as last week, but just as a refresher of where we're at and what's taking place, God's Word says, And the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me i was 40 years old when moses the servant of the lord sent me from kadesh barnea to spy out the land and i brought him word again as it was in my heart but my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt yet i wholly followed the lord my god and moses swore on that day saying surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever because you have wholly followed the lord my god And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me. Now shall drive them out, just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him, and he gave Hebron to Caleb the son of Jephunneh for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Tonight we're going to conclude with a part two of a message we started last week at looking at what it means to be a rare breed. And remember, by definition, a rare breed is someone who exhibits uncommon characteristics among their kind. They are indeed a rarity by definition. Caleb was a rare breed among his people. The way that he walked was different. The way that he talked was different. The way that he acted was different. The way that he reacted was different different than everyone else around him. His faith was on a different level. His trust was on a different level. His obedience unto God was on a different level. And the characteristics that he exhibited were uncommon in comparison to those around him. And we saw a few of those last week. We saw that Caleb was uncommon in his persistence. Imagine God making a promise to you and then you having to wait for 45 years to go by. Before that promise became realized, so he was uncommon in his persistence. He was also uncommon in his mentality. He didn't think the way that other people thought around him. He was also uncommon in his strength, not just physically, but in his strength mentally and emotionally and spiritually. In the same sense, as believers today, we should be uncommon in how we live by comparison to the world around us. Something about us should look odd. Something about us should look unique. Something about us should look rare. We should stand out amongst the world around us as God's people. And As we look into this narrative and we see Caleb talking with Joshua here, and he's staring at this mountain that he wanted to claim, knowing that there are still giants up in there somewhere that he would have to battle in order to claim that place as his own. There are a few more characteristics that we find in Caleb that would have been uncommon in others. And I told you this last week, but... I want to speak it out to you again. Just because something is lacking doesn't mean that it can't be developed. My challenge to all of you guys, myself included, you adults in the back of the room, same challenge to everybody that can hear me tonight, is that as we look at these characteristics, if we find them to be lacking in our lives, then to ask God to develop them within us. So let's look at this. Caleb alongside Joshua He's standing before this mountain and we see some more characteristics about his life and the things that he possessed as what we would call someone who is a rare breed. And the first one is that he had an uncommon resolve. If you go back and look in the first part of verse 12, he says, So now give me this hill country. So Caleb is standing there and he's having a conversation with Joshua and he's talking about the specific plot of land that he wants. And as they're standing there, Having this conversation, Caleb points to this specific mountainous region, and he tells Joshua, give me this hill country. You know what it means to have resolve? Just in case you don't know what that is, here it is. To have resolve is to firmly decide on a course of action. It is a determination, a raw determination to do something. I've learned quite recently through this new experience of being a parent That perhaps no one, and I do quite literally mean no one, contains a stronger resolve than children, especially babies. And y'all will maybe one day have the good fortune of understanding this blessing, and we've got some parents in the back of the room that I promise you can attest to this. There is perhaps no one on the face of this planet that contains a stronger resolve than kids, especially babies. Especially that little joker sitting right back there in the back of the room. I promise you, when they set their minds on something, they're going to go for it, and nothing and nobody is going to get in the way of them getting whatever it is they set their minds to. So I've learned this lesson real quick, and I didn't understand this until being on this side of the game. But I want to give you guys just a little bit of something so you can have some grace towards parents that you see out in public now. Don't be so quick to judge parents. When you see what appears to be them giving in, because you have no idea the level of resolve they're working against. No idea. As a matter of fact, I was funny because I saw a post the other day that says, be kind to everyone you meet, because you have no idea who just lost a battle to a toddler. <laughs> I can relate. I know y'all can't relate right now, but Man, it hits on a whole other level for me right now. When it comes to talking about resolve, I thought, man, there is nobody possessing more resolve than a kid. Our boy Caleb, he had an uncommon resolve about him. He set his mind on a piece of land 45 years ago that he wanted, and to this day, he hadn't let go of it. He hadn't forgotten about it. He hadn't given up. He was determined to have that place. As a matter of fact, we see a little bit of a toddler, I would argue, in Caleb. Just in what he says to Joshua. I don't know if he caught it or not, but he says, Give me this hill country. Give me, give give me, give me this hill country. We've had to teach our son all kinds of different words. There are two words we never had to teach him. Mine is... And Give me I don't know where they get it. They just develop it on their own So we see a little bit of toddler. I think still left inside of Caleb because he walks up to Joshua and he says hey that right there Give me Give me that he It shows his resolve. He had not given up on it He was not gonna let it go. He said my God made me a promise 45 years ago I'm right here beside it now. Give it to me. And I think in that moment Joshua, kind of like a parent, knew there was no way he was going to get in this man's way of possessing the promise that God had laid out in front of him. Forty years ago, God had told Caleb and had set him on a specific course for a specific purpose, and he was determined, he was resolved to see it through. Listen to me today, men and women of God. We are a people who live underneath the great commission that Jesus gave us, which is to go and make disciples of all nations. So in the same sense, our Lord in the modern day has given us a specific course and a specific purpose, and we as a people need to be resolved. We as a people need to be determined to see that mission through. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 2, and I usually read out of the ESV, but I'm going to quote this from the NIV. Paul writing to this Church recalls the time when he came to visit them. He says, For I resolved, I was determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So, Paul, one of the greatest missionaries and church planters that ever walked the face of this earth, when he first encountered these people at Corinth, said, When I showed up at your doorstep, the only thing I was determined to know amongst you guys was not your baggage. Not where you came from, not all the things that you had done or will do or are currently doing. The only thing I cared about when I showed up in that place was the gospel of Jesus Christ and handing that to you guys. We as a people of God need to be resolved in the same way. Determined to carry out the course and the action and the purpose that Jesus has given us. And that's to share the gospel with those that he has placed around us. Listen, you are at a time in your life when you're trying to determine a lot of things. I get asked all the time by people your age, well, I just want to know what my calling is. I want to know what my purpose is. I'm trying to find out what my specific path is for my life. And I understand all that. It does get specific. It does get detailed at some point in time. But if nothing else, each and every one of us in this room have the same generally specific calling and purpose, which is to share the gospel. If you can't figure out exactly where you're supposed to go, let me give you a suggestion in the meantime. Share the gospel. Oh, and on top of that, when you do figure out the specific path you're supposed to be on, guess what? Still share the gospel and be resolved to do so. Have a determination to do just that. And right here is where I want to give you a lesson, a real easy lesson to take from this. Caleb had resolved. I love this about Caleb's life and his story and the fact that God showed me this the other day when I was studying. Caleb had resolved when most everyone else had renounced, when things became difficult or they seemed impossible. These people gave up their claim of promise. These people gave up their blessing of promise. These people gave up their position of inheritance, and God has been teaching me this lately that we so often renounce when we should resolve when things get difficult, when things begin to seem impossible, when the direction that God once gave you doesn't seem quite so obvious anymore when his voice doesn't seem quite so loud as it used to. We're so quick to abandon what he has called us to or where he has called us to go. Listen, if God has given you a vision for something, resolve to see it through. If you're burdened for a lost friend or a family member, resolve to keep praying for that soul. If you're struggling with a stronghold, resolve to have it brought down by God's power. Imagine what it felt like in Caleb's heart when what he had resolved in his heart became what was now realized in his sight. I love this part. Don't miss this. Imagine what it was like in this moment as he shows up, 45 years removed from the promise that God had made to him so long ago. Imagine what those moments felt like, when what he had resolved in his heart to do became what was now realized in his sight before him. I've learned in the course of my life, as short as it has been, you don't appreciate the things that God does in your life when they show up immediately as much as you do when they show up 5, 10, 15 years down the road. Imagine what it felt like in Caleb's heart when 45 years later, he's now standing right in front, about to possess the promise that God had made in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Paul writes this, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I know you're struggling. I know it seems like it's hard that you feel like you're up against a brick wall in certain areas or certain aspects of your life or with certain people, but like I said, resolve to see that vision through. Resolve to keep praying for that lost soul. Resolve to have that stronghold removed in your life, and you may one day stand to see it realized. Imagine how much enjoyable it'll be when after So long ago, God gave you a specific something, and you weren't sure that it was ever going to come to pass, but you resolved to see it through, and then one day you stand right there on the edge of it. Imagine how much greater it feels when that lost friend, that lost family member that you've been praying for, day in and day out, day in and day out, day in and day out, and it seems like it's not progressing. It seems like it's not going anywhere, when all of a sudden one day you wake up and there's a text message. Imagine what it's like one day when you're up against that stronghold that you've been battling and you've been falling back into time and time again. I don't want to do this. God, I don't want this in my life. I don't want to keep falling back into the same area of sin. You battle and you battle and you battle. And you keep praying and you keep asking God to remove it. And imagine one day when all of a sudden the chain of that thing falls off and you stand in complete freedom. But it takes resolve. Hey, I love y'all to death. But one thing I've seen amongst your group is, y'all quit way too easy. You quit, you give up way too easy. And the enemy loves that. Let's push back. I want within this room him to find a generation of people that are resolved to follow God's call and purpose and course of action upon their lives. It's uncommon to have resolve. But you can get it. You can own it. Caleb had an uncommon resolve. He also had an uncommon devotion. If you look back in verse 13, he shows up to Joshua and he says, so now give me this hill country. He talks about how there are still giants there. Then in verse 13, it says, then Joshua blessed him and he gave Hebron or Mount Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. And I want to call to specific attention those two words, wholly followed. I want to highlight those things. I don't know if y'all are big in drawing lines or highlighting or whatever in your Bible, but you see those two words right there? Go ahead and highlight, draw a circle, put an exclamation point, draw a note out to the side. Wholly followed. Four different times in Scripture. We see these words being used as a description of Caleb's relationship with God. He wholly followed the Lord. He was devoted to following the Lord in surrender and obedience in all ways. He wholly followed the Lord. follow. To wholly do something that means complete. it means entirely. it means fully. Caleb's devotion to God, listen to me, wasn't halfway. When God led them out of Egypt, Caleb wholly followed. During times of famine, Caleb wholly followed. During times of drought, Caleb wholly followed. When it rained, Caleb wholly followed. When it shined, Caleb wholly followed. When everyone else turned away, Caleb wholly followed. When it didn't make sense anymore, Caleb wholly followed. One thing that cannot be doubted about this man was that he was committed. The dude was all in to following God. And God expects that wholesome, full devotion of following him from each and every one of his servants. This just shouldn't be a characteristic that is unique to Caleb as one man of God. It should be a descriptive of each and every one of us that have proclaimed Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Where are are my whole milk people at? Wow, we in the minority? Where are my 2% people at? We We got to talk for a second. All right, hold on. we got to take a time out for a second. Hey, the situation in the room just got a whole lot worse than I realized. Let's talk for a second. I'm a whole milk kind of guy. You know why? Because that's exactly what it is. It's whole. It's full. It's satisfying. It's rich. I feel like I get something out of that. I don't know how y'all drank that nasty 2% stuff. That watered down thin, how how do you handle it? I might as well go to the kitchen right now, fill up a big old bowl of cereal and stick it underneath the water faucet (laughs) and fill it up full of water and grab a spoon and just sit down and gulp it down. That's nasty. How do y'all stand that stuff? That should be only whole milk. It shouldn't even sell anything else in grocery stores. Let me say, on top of that, I think Jesus was a whole milk kind of (laughs) guy. While I'm on the topic. I think Jesus was about some whole milk. You know why? Because he likes wholeness. (laughs) Jesus likes wholeness. Jesus likes fullness. But you know, when I look around, I see a lot of people who confess Him as Lord, but live like what I call two percenters. Their devotion's watered down and thin. It's not whole. They're too busy trying to live one foot in and one foot out. And speaking to the crowds as well as his disciples one day, Jesus actually addressed this very thing. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, he turns around to the people and he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? There comes a time when you're going to have to decide that either you're all in or you're not in. When I was in college, I had a business essentials type class. We got any business essentials? majors in the room. I had a business essentials type class and we had a group project. Don't y'all love group projects? Bless God. (laughs) Group projects are the devil, I'm convinced. Because I know every single one of y'all in this room are the person that does all the work, right? That's what I hated about group projects. Because you might have five people in the group and you got two people doing all the work and all of a sudden everybody's getting the A. Funny how that works. I hated group projects when I was in college. We had a group project, and the deal was you had to form a partnership with another company, and you had to draw up a contract. And part of doing that was you had to write out a contingency plan. Y'all know what a contingency plan is? It's quite simply this. It takes into account what actions will be taken if something other than the desired outcome Comes about. Now, listen, I'm trying to bring all this together and drive it home for you guys because I see something that's crept in to a lot of hearts, not just in your generations, but in generations across the entire spectrum, and that's commitment that's contingent. We want to sign on to Jesus's commitment contract, but we want to do so by underwriting it with contingency. I'm committed, but if things go south, Jesus, hold on a second. I'm committed, but if Jesus decides to take me down another route that I don't want to go on, then I'm out. I'm committed, but if things stop making sense, if I stop hearing your voice each and every step of the way, then you need to know, Jesus, at that point, I step out of the situation. And so many people nowadays, so many professing believers of God have a commitment that is contingent upon the conditions of their life. And Jesus never calls us that. When he walked up to his disciples, he says, Follow me, plain and simple. Where I go, you go. What I say, you do. That's why afterwards, when he's walking around, he has a conversation. He just preached a sermon on the Mount. And he hears them discussing some certain things. And he turns around and he's been teaching them to do this, teaching them to do that, teaching them to do this, teaching them to do that, and they weren't obeying his word. And Jesus, strolling down the road, all of a sudden turns around and says, Hey, I got a question, guys. Why do you call me Lord? But you don't do the stuff I ask you to do. Turns around and keeps on walking. Listen, I'm not going to... I'm not going to sugarcoat anything for you guys in here at any given point. Now, I'm all about encouragement. Believe it or not, I did a spiritual gifts test. It's kind of like the Bible version of the Enneagram. My giftedness is actually exhortation, which is encouragement. I know some of y'all might find that to be shocking, but it actually is. (laughs) Nothing encourages me more than encouraging you to grow in your faith. But listen, I'm not going to sugarcoat the Word of God for you. Jesus' calling is a high one. And he expects us to live at that standard. And not to do it by yourself, but to do it through his spirit that he gives us as a helper. So listen, get rid of the contingencies plans, man. Caleb didn't have that. He wholly followed God. He had an uncommon devotion about him. If Caleb's devotion and commitment would have come with contingency, he would have bailed out a long time ago. Because I assure you, the 40 years of wilderness wanderings weren't a part of the desired outcome that he thought God was going to bring into his life. He would have been long gone if he would have built into his contractual commitment agreement with Jesus on the desired outcome being that he was going to ease his way into the promised land with no barriers, with no struggles or anything like that. He would have been gone a long time ago. He would have bailed out. But at the same time, listen to me. If he had bailed, he would have eventually been buried as well. Everybody else that bailed out on Jesus when it got hard, everybody else that didn't wholly follow Jesus with the fullness of their heart is buried in that wilderness that he left about five years ago. It's not always going to be easy. It ain't always going to be pretty. It's not always going to happen instantaneously, but do not bail out on Jesus if you don't want to be buried in the desert. I want you guys so bad to be known as a people who, even when it looks hopeless, wholly follow. Even when it may cost us a job, wholly follow. Even when it may sever relationships, wholly follow. Even when everyone else in your life turns a different direction, you wholly Follow, even when in the valley, holy follow. Listen to me, men and women. Go all in on your devotion to Jesus. Please, please go all in on your devotion to Christ. I drugged my feet for too long in devotion, and that's the last thing that I want you guys to do. The unfortunate part of a lot of what I stand up here and teach and pour into you has to come from an experience that I don't want you to have. But if it took me going through that so God could place me here, so I could beg and plead and hopefully help you to realize that you don't want to go to that place either, then so help me, God, I would go through it all over again. Go all in on your devotion. You'll never regret it. It took me too long to figure that out, and I can promise you standing on this side of my life being wholly devoted to God, I would not trade a single moment for anything on the other side. Ever. be wholly devoted be holy in your following of him no matter where he takes you no matter what he calls you to do Caleb was uncommon in his devotion he was also uncommon in his drive if you go back and look at the second part of verse 12 he says you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities and maybe that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out, just as the Lord said. Now skip over to chapter 15, a little bit later on in the narrative, and look at what we find in chapter 15. Verse 13 says, According to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, he gave to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, a portion among the people of Judah, Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak, which basically he's the granddaddy of all the giants. Verse 14 says, Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak. He drove out The giants, in the literal sense, Caleb drove out the remaining giants that were occupying his piece of property. That's not the kind of drive that I'm talking about. You need to know that at any point in time that you become resolved, at any point in time that you decide to devote yourself to live for the things of God, there will be obstacles that the enemy will put in your path. Caleb had made it this far, but there was still an obstacle to be faced, and that was the remaining giants that were in the land, but he had a drive within him that pushed him forward anyway, knowing that they were there. Listen, here's the difference. You may think, well, drive sounds real close to resolve, and it is in certain ways, but here's a distinguishing difference. Resolve is having it set in your mind and your heart. Drive is the physical action of carrying it out. And it's important I think at this point that we all see what gave Caleb success in overcoming his obstacles. In verse 12, he says this, acknowledging that the giants are in the land, acknowledging that it's not going to be easy. He says this, it it may be that the Lord will be with me. It was the Lord who drove Caleb through his obstacles. It wasn't any physical power that Caleb himself possessed. It wasn't anything special that he was able to do on his own. It was quite simply because the presence of the Lord was with him in those places that he was able to drive out the remaining giants that were in that place. Remember, he's 85. An 85-year-old man shouldn't be going in and whipping up on a whole horde of giants. It was the Lord who gave him the strength to do that. It was the Lord who helped him overcome those obstacles. Listen, the enemy was still hoping that Caleb would just give up and accept What seemed to be a reality. When Moses faced Pharaoh, the Lord went with him. When Daniel was tossed in the den, guess what? The Lord went with him. When Elijah stood against 850 prophets of Baal, the Lord went with him. When Gideon attacked thousands with 300, the Lord went with him. When David confronted Goliath, the Lord went with him. The enemy will place whatever obstacles he can in your path with hopes that you as well will just give up and accept what appears to be. But if you'll take the Lord with you into those places, I promise you, you will see his power at work in and through you to overcome the obstacles that the enemy places in front of you. Let's have a drive about us. I want to see God's people have a drive about them again to take action, to not just sit back and accept what appears to be, but to push forward in faith to what we know what can be. To not just know to pray, but actually pray. To not just know to proclaim the gospel, but to actually go out and proclaim it. To not just know to serve, but actually serve those around us. To not just know to love, but actually do Love. Put it into action. That's great if we leave this place resolved. There's got to be drive. It's got to move. As we finish up tonight, can I ask you to see something real quick? I want you to see that intertwined in all this is the gospel. And that's what I love about the Word of God. Listen to me. You don't have to get to the New Testament to see the gospel of Jesus. As a matter of fact, you can't see the fullness of it without where we've been in the old. All of humanity had sinned against God and stood condemned to be eternally separated from Him. But then Jesus came. Now watch how this connects. It's amazing. Love the Word of God. Jesus left heaven to come here. And He came with a resolve. His mind and his heart were set on Calvary where he would ultimately end up. And it was his mission and he wouldn't let it go. He wouldn't trade it off. Jesus came here from heaven with a resolve to end up on Calvary. And nothing was going to stop him from getting there. But on top of that, All the while he was here, all during his earthly ministry, Jesus was devoted to the will of his Father. He wasn't here for his own comforts. He wasn't here for his own pleasure. He wasn't here to carry out his own desires or his own ambitions or his own plan. He was here submissive to the will of his Father who sent him on a rescue mission for all of mankind. And get this, on top of that, for Jesus, there was never a contingency plan. There was never a backup in case things got too difficult or in case it got to the point where he no longer liked the direction of where things were headed. There was no contingency. He was devoted wholly to the will of his Father. And then when the time came, Jesus' drive to see the work accomplished pushed him up Calvary's hill. He had resolve, he was devoted, but he was also driven to carry out exactly what he came here to do. And the enemy tried to stop him. Do you realize that? I feel like God's given me a new revelation in some regards to the crucifixion of Christ. All throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, you see the devil trying to get him to step outside of the will of God. Why? Because if he did that, it would mess up the plan. And the plan was what? Salvation. And so I honestly believe that one of the reasons why they beat Jesus so hard One of the reasons why they scourged him so terribly. One of the reasons why they continued to whip him time and time again. One of the reasons why the mocking was so severe was because the enemy was doing whatever he could to try to get Jesus to just give up and lay down, to throw his hands up and say, Enough. This is too much. This is too hard. This is too difficult. I don't want to carry out this plan anymore. I just want to go back to heaven and leave this earth without ever accomplishing what he truly came here to do. But Jesus wouldn't be stopped he endured all those things and then he strapped that log across his shoulders and with what remaining energy he had left he began to crawl his way up Golgotha's hill to finish the work why? because of every one of you sitting here tonight he loves you and He wanted you to have a relationship with Him so as we finish up tonight Ooh, man, sorry I think about what Jesus endured and I think about how badly I want each and every one of you to know that love and that grace and that forgiveness I don't listen, I don't care what you've done I don't care how far you've gone I don't care how lost you think you are. I don't care how broken up you think your life is. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus will restore you and heal you and redeem and restore your broken and hurting soul. Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, College and Young Adult Pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for His glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through His Word here at Life.